Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Listeners, welcome back. Remember the last show when we talked about avoiding that OCD approach to keto and to health goals in general? And now I'd like to pick up where we left off and discuss a way to straddle that line from avoiding that OCD approach, but also keeping some firm commitments to health and living a healthy lifestyle and not uh, falling back on these excuses like everything in moderation or making rationalizations every time you depart from your plan for uh, doing exercise, keeping active, or choosing healthy foods. Because right now what we have is a modern life that is dangerously out of balance with the momentum pushing us toward inactivity, long periods of inactivity throughout the day, which are now validated to be extremely unhealthy, even for devoted fitness enthusiasts that put their time in on the road or at the gym every single day. But then if you go off into commuting mode and sitting at an office job and taking your evening hours up with digital entertainment, uh, you have this active couch potato syndrome where your health is compromised and you can represent disease risk factors similar to that of an inactive person. In other words, your hour a day or hour and a half or whatever you're putting into fitness does not counteract the many, many hours of inactivity. So we have all this momentum pushing us toward inactivity, pushing us toward overly stressful lifestyle patterns, particularly our penchant for hyperconnectivity, And I talked a little bit on the last show about the difference between the 33 gigabytes of information that we're exposed to every single day and all the past generations of humanity that had way less input and way less information that they were obligated or compelled to process every single day. It leads to overly stressful brain activity, uh, distraction, inability to focus, all kinds of fallout from the constant stress and stimulation that we have today. And then, of course, to the lifestyle-related diseases that are not only from inactivity and uh, the nonstop, go-go-go, hectic pace, but also to adverse diet and exercise practices. So if you're listening to a show about keto, you've probably made a long, been on a long uh, road of progress away from standard American, standard Western dietary patterns filled with refined carbohydrates, high insulin production, and eating in an ancestral aligned pattern, and even a ketogenic pattern. Um, So that part could be handled pretty well. But again, we want to avoid that that orthorexic OCD approach uh, and keep these commitments in the background, even if we depart from time to time. So that's why I kind of want to dial in in this show is how to straddle that line. Okay, so number one, make a firm commitment to healthy living, healthy dietary habits, and have some standards that you adhere to no matter what. 
Brian, the guy who's producing this show and all the other audio content, is pretty hardcore keto, and he has been for what, Brian? A year and a half? Can you throw in sound effects? That's right! (laughs) And when you go out and eat with this guy, he's going to pick his food out of the tortilla. He's going to take the rice off the sushi rolls or whatever it is to remain um, uh, connected and focused on his goals of ketogenic eating. He's not uh, up his butt about it with the stick. And it's just a routine behavior pattern to empty out the corn tortilla and put it to the side if something happened to be served in that manner. Um, No big drama. uh, Doesn't warrant a comment from his dining partners. And if it does, and if you're one of those people who are feeling like an outcast because you're eating with people that don't have the same dietary commitments to you, just smile and don't engage when people try to draw you in to an unproductive conversation. And back to the general commitments, one of them that's really highly recommended right now is to make the decision to never consume refined, high polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Look on YouTube. You can type in Kate Shanahan, Brad Kearns, and we have an incredible discussion. Uh, Her husband, Luke, is also in the uh, production here on YouTube talking about the dangers of refined vegetable oils, uh, immediate disturbance in healthy cardiovascular function that's caused by the ingestion of these oils that are routine in packaged, frozen, uh, deep-fried fast food products in the food supply. Dr. Andrew Weil uh, cites a statistic that 20% of all the calories consumed in the standard American diet come from soybean oil alone. Dr. Kate cites a stat that 40% of all the calories that you consume in a restaurant, whether it's a cheap fast food roadside fare or even a fine dining establishment, 40% of the calories come from these highly oxidative, highly reactive, refined, high polyunsaturated vegetable oils. The reason being that all the meals are cooked in these oils. They're high in calories, of course, uh, because they're 100% fat. And so they contribute a big load of your total caloric intake. Um, They're so bad to the extent that, uh, again, from Kate, I believe this was on uh, one of our podcasts or the YouTube video, but the YouTube video is great. It's only 15 minutes. You're compelled to watch it, and it'll set you straight about just how bad this stuff is that we consume routinely every single day. So out of the gate, that would be a really nice firm commitment to health to say, if something contains refined vegetable oils, don't eat it and just live by that standard no matter what. It's not a huge sacrifice. If I also said um, never eat sugar again uh, and echo Gary Taubes and Dr. Lustig, Robert Lustig, um, that would be a great health recommendation. But I'm going to say that's a little bit tougher because of all the celebratory items and things that actually taste good and give you uh, brief moments of pleasure and once in a while warrant a little bit of enjoyment and you're going to bust loose. Uh, I'll bet even Brian had some wedding cake at his recent wedding. So you know what? Once in a while, that's okay. Um, However, you can sort of put these higher standards in place to where you're not compelled to consume a dessert every single night after dinner. This is a big talking point of Mark Sisson's where he's like, wait a second, 
We just had a delicious meal, whatever, a four-course meal in a restaurant with the salad, the soup, the meal. Why does dessert have to be part of the picture? Why did something uh, just come into our culture and make it feel like it's a necessary component of a healthy eating experience, especially because sometimes uh, the sensitive among us have adverse reactions to consuming sugar at the end of a meal. And then we get the gas and the bloating that we might not otherwise have if we just focused on the delicious entrees. So for me, I think I've talked about this at past shows, um, making that quip about Magnolia Bakery in New York City and how they had the most incredible banana cream pie I've ever had in my life. I don't know how one was forced in front of me, but I took a bite and I was like, you know what? This is unbelievable. The whipped cream was actual cream. It wasn't that sweet, disgusting, synthetic tasting cream that you get out of the spray can or at a less refined uh, establishment. And the banana part, the banana cream was actually like bananas and creamy. It didn't taste overly sweet. It went down fine. I didn't have a, a sugar crash afterward, I believe, because it was such a fresh-baked product. And while I was in New York City for uh, several days, I believe I had a few of those things. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to go mail-ordering them to California and make them a daily part of my routine because I don't choose to have a lot of sugar into my daily diet due to all the adverse effects and the incongruency between my goals for uh, living a keto lifestyle. However, when I return to New York City and I'm walking on the right street, I believe it was 7th near um, 52nd or something, and I run into that place, I might go grab one again. But as I mention that, I will also say as a corollary that I will never, ever have a crappy banana cream pie again, because now I know what real banana cream pie tastes like. So if I'm in Marie Callender's and I'm dining with 11 other people and they'll all order a slice of pie after or Cheesecake Factory, which I used to enjoy, but I found uh, after four or five uh, slices of cheesecake over about two or three years time, you know, going there that many times or getting takeout because my son's a big fan and having a slice of cheesecake said, yeah, get me one too. Um, I kind of found them not to be as satisfying as they were originally when they became uh, one of my favorite treats many years ago. I believe possibly due to desensitizing myself to the sweet taste of uh, sugary foods and treats when I kick them out of my diet, they all of a sudden or over time become too sweet and not as enjoyable. And I kind of got this feeling halfway through the last couple cheesecakes that I ate that it was just too sweet, I didn't feel right, the thing felt like it was sitting in my stomach for hours afterward. I kind of got fluttery heartbeat, a little bit of a headache, had difficulty falling asleep later that night. And I realized that maybe the overall experience of having those slices of cheesecake at Cheesecake Factory um, wasn't all that it was cracked up to be anymore because my tastes were so highly refined. So I may never have one again the rest of my life, or I may, if I feel like it, I may have that same adverse overall net negative experience and one day transition completely out of that. But what I'm trying to say here with the contrast between the uh, enjoyable Magnolia Bakery banana cream pie is to be completely mindful and intentional on the occasions where you choose to depart from your dietary standards and enjoy a delicious treat. I also might find myself 
down in Sayulita, Mexico, enjoying the street tacos, which are so incredible. And guess what? They're served in a blue corn tortilla, freshly made that day right there, tasting delicious. I do not wish to pull the tortilla out of the mix and just have a taco bowl. I want to have the full Mexican dining experience, enjoy the heck out of it, but be mindful and intentional to the extent that uh, when I'm served something that's just a plain old uh, out of the out of the bag tortilla, I'm probably going to take the tortilla off and make myself a bowl because the stuff inside is way more enjoyable than the tortilla. But there's that distinction where you're mindful and intentional, and you live by these extremely high standards that are not compromised by your peers or excuses in your environment. You're not a person that says, oh, there's nothing really good at this airport, so I'm just going to go get some deep-fried onion rings and ingest some more toxic vegetable oils. It's a clear distinction between having these high standards and then once in a while letting loose and making an informed decision to enjoy something that's extremely delicious, extremely high quality in that context, and uh, not having any guilt or misgivings or any weird behaviors attached to that that can lead to perpetuating these negative uh, behaviors. Uh, i got to explain that a little bit. How about this? Let's reflect on this for a bit. Feeling guilty is an excuse to do the behavior again or perpetuate the same behavior. It's a little trick we play uh, on ourselves by uh, bringing up these uh, feelings of guilt. Here's an example that will make it very clear for you. Oh, your grandmother's in the nursing home, and she loves to hear from you. Those handwritten letters make her day, and she walks with her walker over to the mailbox every morning to see if there's a note coming from her dear, precious granddaughter or grandson. But guess what? You've been super busy, slammed at work, and you haven't had time to write grandma a note, and you feel really bad, and you feel really guilty about it. So the Feeling guilty gives you permission, it gives you an excuse to perpetuate not writing her a letter. If you didn't feel guilty, you would be a lazy, uncaring asshole that didn't care about your grandmother in the nursing home. You didn't care enough to sit down and spend seven minutes to write a letter. So you get the difference? If you haven't written your grandma a letter, then just go ahead and write the letter and don't feel bad about it. Until you do it, you can start feeling good. Same with the food example. If you go and binge on Ben and Jerry's and then feel guilty like a real loser because you were trying to go keto and you did great for four and a half weeks and then you went down the Ben and Jerry's rabbit hole, then you're going to take, you have a high risk of tail spinning out of that firm commitment to healthy living because you don't feel worthy, you feel guilty instead. All right, so dispense with the guilt, dispense with the emotions, and make your dietary indulgences mindful and intentional. Whew! I know, we're getting deep. What can you say here? Um, there's also uh, that, just extending this out a little further, um, we want to make sure you're in control of your decision-making at all times. So if there's nothing good at the airport, um, take the opportunity to fast or uh, be better prepared for your next traveling adventure by bringing your own snacks and things that you can munch on when there's nothing uh, viable in your environment. And also check your excuses at the door. I mean, reflect on the self-limiting beliefs and statements that you make when it comes to your 
shortcomings or not uh, adhering to the dietary standards that you want. One that we hear often is budget, and budget is real, and good food is expensive to be sure, but there are many, many ways to shop smarter and be more economical, uh, make certain compromises. We know that wild salmon, when you go to Whole Foods and it's $22.95 a pound or whatever ridiculous price is on there, that's a little bit steep for a single meal, especially if you're someone that likes to eat a lot of salmon like me starts to get uh, a little ridiculous. But if you go to Trader Joe's, you can find previously frozen wild-caught salmon that still tastes delicious, is a fraction of the price that you might find the same product or a comparative product. Um, Another excuse that we hear a lot is time. I don't have time to prepare healthy food, therefore my diet isn't up to standard. And I'm going to argue in favor of peak performance and productivity is enhanced by healthy dietary habits. So if you don't have time because you're too busy working, you're working less effectively because you're not paying requisite attention to your diet or you're crashing and burning and having to go take extra time to drive around to a fast food joint to go get something to bring back to your busy office because you didn't have time, you had to work through lunch. Great example of this is the new course that we launched called Paleo Cooking Bootcamp by Katie French. And this is an online multimedia learning experience where Katie takes you through this bootcamp experience. It's based on a live course that she used to do in uh, San Francisco Bay Area where you cook for two hours in a very focused power two-hour cooking session. Uh, She did this on the weekend with her students, her live students. You cook for two hours and you get enough meals and snacks to last you for an entire busy work week. So you walk home with a bunch of Tupperware and put it in the the fridge, and you have ready-made delicious meals that you made because you spent this two hours in a highly focused, deliberate, and intentional manner. So you're chopping up one thing, you're putting the other thing in the oven, you take the thing out of the oven, you put the other thing on the stove, and it's a really fantastic course. And Katie comes from actually the... Uh, the corporate workplace. She was a high-powered litigation attorney in the Silicon Valley where people were working massive hours and she noticed that no one was paying attention to healthy eating habits. She was trying really hard to and balance it with her crazy work schedule, but people started to see how she was living and bringing in her healthy foods rather than hitting the vending machine. She became the de facto dietary coach for the law firm, and that's what launched this whole career into nutrition consulting and developing this one-of-a-kind boot camp experience. So, gee, we don't have mid-roll commercials during the podcast. I hate those anyway, man. I like them at the start of the finish. At least just stack them up. But I guess this is sounding like one, and for good reason. So if you can get a little more intentional with your cooking, food preparation, and even your food traveling practices, you're going to better be able to adhere to healthy dietary habits. Um, Same goes for exercise. Here's my favorite example of straddling that line of not being obsessive compulsive, but also having uh, having a foundation, a firm commitment to Uh, to fitness. And I'm going to tout my morning routine that I just developed this year, 2017, early in the year, been going strong for at least six months, maybe more, without fail, every single morning. You can look it up on YouTube. We filmed it. It's called Brad Kern's Morning Routine. And it's just a uh, custom-designed 
uh, set of mobility flexibility exercises to kind of keep me at a higher baseline than if I just looked at my actual formal workout patterns. Um, this insight came to me because I'm a big fan of doing um, high jumping, uh, sprinting, you know, explosive uh, workouts not too often, right? Once every seven to 10 days as recommended by Primal. So I was going from either, let's say, light jogging and basic strength training out there to trying to running sprints. And it was too big of a stretch between my normal daily routine and this high stress explosive activity. So I'd wake up and be sore and stiff for a few days. And it was just tough to take, especially being an old guy. So I devised this morning routine to help my body be better able to go out there and high jump and sprint uh, at a moment's notice because I was working my core and stretching my legs and keeping those hamstrings flexible. And that's what you'll see on my morning routine. You can create your own custom to your uh, athletic peak performance goals. But the thing about my morning routine is uh, it takes not too long. You know, I thought it was five minutes. It's more like 10 to 12. But if yours only can take five, do something for five minutes that you do without thinking. That's a firm commitment that you do every single morning, no matter what. You don't, you don't have to worry about whether you're tired or sore or stiff or unmotivated. Those are the kind of decision-making factors that play into your actual formal workout decisions. So if you're going into uh, a CrossFit session or a you know devoted uh, gym exercise routine, or you're heading out for a 10-mile run, that's when you want to be intuitive and notice and pay close attention to uh, your energy level, motivation level, your muscles, uh, whether it's the right thing at that time, the right workout to do. But as far as the morning routine, I want that to sort of be mindless, and that's just my commitment to healthy, active living, going through the motions and kind of taking control of my day as well, knowing that this is the first thing I do every time without having to uh, worry too much about uh, the intuition part and making sensible training decisions when it comes to bigger workouts. Um, does that make sense? All right, now let's move on. We're kind of covering the lifestyle elements that are presented in the Keto Reset Diet, where we have diet, and then we have the supportive elements of exercise, sleep, and stress management. So when it comes to sleep, how about this? Can you just rank it as number one primary important health practice? What does rank it number one mean? Does it mean you never stay up and have fun or you know continue at the party past your bedtime uh, or enjoy a movie that's going later past your bedtime? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it means if it's number one priority, you do whatever it takes to adhere to a baseline standard of excellent sleep habits and sleep hygiene. You create an optimal sleeping environment. All this stuff is detailed in the book where you want it dark, you want it cool, you want it absolutely completely dark, by the way, to make sure you don't throw off that uh, very delicate uh, melatonin flow. And if you are deficient in sleep for whatever reason, a conscious, mindful decision to stay up and enjoy a movie or a party, you strategize by taking it easy the afternoon before your planned late night or in the aftermath, making sure that you find time for a nap the next day to catch up on sleep deficiencies. This is a big difference from paying lip service to sleep and crowding it out anytime there's a good show on Netflix or what have you. So let's say that once in a while you can depart from your firm sleep routine with number one ranked importance and consistent bedtimes and wake times, 
but that you make amends every time you do that. Make sense? All right. And then finally, uh, the stress management component was the other element uh, in the book that was critical to uh, your success with keto. Um, some good presentations at um, KetoCon about this. Leanne Vogel, the author of The Keto Diet, uh, was talking about this. And then another more scientific presentation was talking about, um, this is val validated by science, that when you are in fight-or-flight mode, when you're in that high-stress, hectic mode, you are burning sugar. This is a sugar-burning metabolic state. You need to take some deep breaths. You need to chill out. You need to take uh, ownership of your attitude and always choose a positive attitude, especially in the workplace. Um, I saw a YouTube clip from that guy, Jocko, that super motivated Navy SEAL guy. And he said when uh, adverse circumstances happen in the workplace, his answer is always good. Good. We can learn something about it. We can have a growth experience when we have failures. So there's always something to be positive about, even if you have setbacks and failures with your health goals or in your workplace routine or in your uh, life goals of any kind. So choose a positive attitude. Use failure to your advantage to learn something from it. Um, take control of your stress management uh, practices and behaviors. Don't let other people ruin your day. Just make a firm decision that nobody's bad attitude or misbehavior or mistreatment is going to ruin your day. You have control over your attitude and your temperament. You have control over your emotions most of the time. So if you feel that stress response brewing up, take some corrective action, take control of your emotions, take control of your behavior. Let's say, for example, take a break and go for a walk around the building if you get into it and have an adverse uh, communication at the, uh, during the workplace. Uh, you can do some deep breathing anytime you feel your emotions uh, boiling up or getting the better of you when you get triggered is the favorite word that the teenagers like to say. So when you get triggered, take corrective action. Stay away from that fight or flight sugar burning mode by exhibiting excellent stress management techniques. And oh boy, what a wonderful list. Hopefully that'll help you with this delicate balance of towing the line between getting super intense and OCD about your health practices, but also keeping a firm commitment to health. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Till the next time. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.